Welcome everyone to my first short story. It's a story about crime, the death of a CEO, disgruntled employees, and something that doesn't quite add up. I hope you enjoy. The Devil You Know. It was no secret that our CEO, Lisa Atram, was disliked by many around the office. In fact, if I were to say she was disliked by all in the office, I would probably be making a more accurate statement. She never really cared much for her employees or colleagues, and since she ran a charity organisation, it was hard to fathom how she got into power in the first place. Rumours around our Brisbane office largely spoke of nepotism. Apparently, her uncle used to be on the board. Me and my cubicle buddy Alice have a different theory, though. She simply eliminated all her competition till she was the only possible candidate. You have probably noticed that I have been referring to Lisa in the past tense. That is because on Monday, Alice had informed me by a text of her untimely death. When the office was informed of the tragic news, I was still on my leave, holidaying in Sydney, hence the text message. Arriving back at work on Thursday, after the accident, was slightly surreal. The vibe in the office was dark, but not in a morose way, as you would expect. Everyone was more surprised, shocked, than saddened. Walking back to my cubicle, I could feel the air in the office was lighter somehow. As if earlier we were working in a mine where the air was thick and scarce, and now we somehow stepped outside into the fresh open. I dropped my bag on my desk, and before I knew it, I opened my diary, switched on the computer, and took out my reading glasses. It was surprising to see how second nature my habits had become, like muscle memory that never skips a beat even after a nine-day holiday break. I looked around at all the faces in the office, colleagues I had worked with for months, years, all exactly the same, except for the tiniest inadequacy. They were all forcing themselves to look sad, like they knew that that was what they were supposed to be feeling, but they weren't really. Some were better at pretending than others, Mel from PR in particular. The 10.30am morning tea break was a real life face-to-face Twitter. If you sat in the break room long enough, my past calculations have the optimal time at 17 minutes, you were guaranteed to find out all the latest office gossip and news from at least eight different reliable sources, each one with further details than the last. Sam from reception would usually walk in at 10.32am sharp. Today was no different. She would usually only stay a few minutes as the phones were particularly hectic at this time, but two minutes while she made her green tea was all you needed. We all got the news three days ago, she said while dunking her tea bag up and down. The entire office was shocked, her car wrapped around a tree. Can you believe it? I could see she was genuinely still shaken. It's just awful, the poor woman. Anyway, she continued. Lucky you were on holiday and missed out on the somber staff meeting. It was dreadful. I'll catch you at lunch, yeah? She said, throwing her tea bag in the bin. Sure, I replied. How was Sydney, by the way? She asked with one foot out the door. Great. I said with a smile. Tell me all about it later. She sipped her hot tea and walked out. Daisy from accounts shed light on all the details from the police. They are treating it as a suspicious accident, you know. The police came by on Tuesday and asked some of us questions. If I followed Daisy's story correctly, the speedometer read 110 kilometers an hour at the point of impact, which was a very unusual speed for the area where the accident occurred. This sparked further interest for the police and after examining the car, they found suggestive evidence of tampering with the brakes. Michelle from payroll informed me about the funeral service that would be held tomorrow. 
They are closing the office from 9 to 12 so everyone can attend. I need to figure out what to wear, she said, grabbing a scotch finger biscuit from the jar. Jane, I almost forgot, she continued. The whole office is chipping in $20 towards flowers for the service. Make sure you give yours to Tina by 3pm today. Yes, of course. Beck, our veteran admin lady, let me in on a rumour that people believed it might have actually been someone from the office who could have caused the accident. I mean, I've been working here for almost 10 years, and let's face it, never did I see her thank anyone but herself. It's sad but true, she wasn't the nicest boss, confessed Beck. And finally, Leslie, our new intern, between her Nespresso foam latte and two scotch fingers, mentioned we were getting a temporary CEO starting tomorrow. HR said he will be starting tomorrow morning. The board mentioned someone was going to be stepping in at the meeting on Monday. I sure missed a lot while I was away, I said. Yeah, I guess you did. I better return to work before my supervisor clocks me. I'll see you later. I took the last sip of my now cold tea. The clock on the wall read 10.48am. Leslie was right. It was time to get back to work. The endless parade of unopened emails in my inbox had slowly come to an end, which basically meant I should probably start doing some actual work. I grabbed my diary and stared at my to-do list for the day. The tiny dot points looked like miniature ants crawling all over the page. The temptation to procrastinate was just too strong. With the phone at my fingertips, I only picked it up to look at the time, I swear. Facebook was my unavoidable first stop. Among posts of the latest eateries that have opened up in Brisbane, fake news, cat videos and very tempting Tamu hands, I scrolled through some real news stories about our beloved departed boss. CEO of charity dies in car crash. I skimmed through the articles, interviews and police updates. The cause of the crash is for the moment being treated as suspicious by police. The detectives came back to the office that afternoon as they asked their last round of questions and spoke to the management team in the conference room. Although we could not hear what they were saying, the entire second floor was in lip reading mode, analysing their every expression through the glass walls. Look, Marcus scratched his nose, clear sign he's feeling uncomfortable. Look at the detective's stance, he's not buying a word. The detectives eventually left with a casual wave of the hand and the sound of typing keyboards and clicking mouses filled the second floor once more. Everyone in the office had their theories. If you ask me, Marcus should be suspect number one. I mean, hello, everyone knows the two were having an affair, pointed out Emily while scanning at the copier. Don't you think? I didn't know what I thought. Objectively, my first suspect would have to be Melissa, our general manager. With Lisa gone, she would be the prime candidate for her replacement. Everyone heard the humiliating speech Lisa gave her at the Christmas party last year, not to mention the constant belittling and emotional harassment. We all felt sorry for Melissa, but no one ever said anything. If somebody wanted Lisa gone, I would have thought it'd be her. I don't think the detectives worked it out yet, but as Emily said, it was clear to everyone in the office that Lisa and Marcus, our COO, were having an affair. This would bring me to suspect number two. It was sort of comical how they thought they were being so careful, discreet even. There was nothing subtle about the long glances, hand-holding under the board meeting table, and I choose to believe Leslie when she said she caught them making out in the stairwell a few weeks ago. It was a very bizarre coupling. You have probably understood by now that Lisa was, for a lack of a better word, a witch. Actually, swap the W with the B. But Marcus? He was just a lump of unattractive fluff that floated around the office with no determination, no drive, no skills. Just fluff. Not particularly good looking, 
although he thought he was. Not really smart or witty or anything. What did Lisa see in him? I honestly think our techie Dave with a polished mullet would fruit a more exciting affair. Marcus is the one with a long-term fiancé, however, so if something had gone wrong, he would be the one with everything to lose. Maybe Lisa was threatening to expose his infidelity. Maybe they broke up. Or maybe she was threatening to fire him so he got rid of her before she had the chance. It is possible for all this to be some sort of ex-lover revenge plot gone bad. Marcus a killer, though? I don't think so. He still seemed genuinely distraught, and if I'm being honest... I don't think he'd be crafty enough to plan a murder. That would require passion. Fire. The only thing I ever saw Marcus passionate about was Candy Crush. The man can't even make a decent cup of coffee for himself, let alone plan a murder. It would have had to be someone with a brain, someone clever, detailed, with some form of personal motive against her. Fiona, our accounts lady, never missed a decimal point. Back when I first started, I heard that she almost took Lisa to court for harassment in the workplace, but everything was eventually dropped. Maybe she still held the grudge. That night when I got home, I did a little more research online and found extra information regarding the accident. It happened in the evening, on Lisa's way home from the gym. Any tampering would have had to be done while Lisa was taking her evening Pilates class at the gym. The next day at work, I realised how quickly the memory of someone can get desecrated. Lisa had only been dead eight days, but in the lunchroom, nobody held back. I was surprised at how much detail they all remembered. Last March, after we had that staff meeting, do you remember how she blocked Megan in the hall and made that comment about her waistline? So unprofessional. Or a few months ago, that Tuesday after the public holiday, she sent out that office-wide email basically accusing us of taking money from reception when turns out it was actually Marcus who just forgot to note it down. My entire 45 minute lunch break was filled with tyranny stories of Lisa and her unprofessional, disrespectful management policies. It was hard to pick who in the office would not be considered a suspect. But if I had to really think, I feel the person with the strongest reason to see Lisa gone would have to be me. A Scorpio by nature, I take my grudges to the grave and in the four years working for her, I had a dozen too many. The constant emotional abuse, lack of respect, missed family birthdays because of her requested unpaid hours, the ridicule, my list could go on. If it had been me, I would have certainly been particularly smart about it. I wouldn't have taken the chance for something like this to ruin my life as well. That would have been highly counterproductive. The first step I would have taken would have been to secure an airtight alibi, say like, being away on holidays in a different city during the time of the accident? I couldn't possibly be in two places at once, could I? If it had been me, I would have planned everything in advance, perhaps purchased my tickets for Sydney eight months ago, on the 3rd of March to be exact, and made sure to tell people at work I was excited to go. I would have taken care not to keep any evidence of bad blood between me and Lisa, only professional polite emails on record, no venting in the lunchroom, just a regular employee. Come on, what do you think, Jane? asked Leslie. What are your thoughts on Lisa? I have never heard you say much about her. Well, she wasn't perfect, but she was the boss, I guess. I did my work, so I didn't really see her interfering. Not much to say, I guess. But if I had in fact planned the perfect alibi by being out of town for the accident, how would I have actually done it? How could I have murdered my boss from a different city a thousand kilometres away? 
I am definitely no criminal mastermind, but my genius plan might have gone a little like this. I would have taken my long planned holiday and would have made sure people saw it. I would have posted photos on Facebook, selfies in front of the Opera House, Bondi Beach, Harbour Bridge. As planned, I would have borrowed my friend's four-wheel drive in Sydney and told her I was going camping for a few days at Umina Beach. I would have gone to Umina, built my tent, enjoyed the sea, taken a few photos and slept the night. The next day, with my friend's car, I would have driven to Sydney Central Station and hopped on a 14-hour train ride back to Brisbane with a ticket boarding cash at the station. I would have arrived in Brisbane around 4am the next day. In the station toilets, I would have put on a light disguise and caught a taxi to Lisa's gym and waited. I was already familiar with Lisa's routine, as that was one of the few things she wouldn't stop talking about, how fit she was, how she loved her workouts, and how discipline and habits made you great. Friday was her double gym, catch the train to work day. She would arrive at the gym for her 6am pump class and always park in the same spot. Lower level, last spot on the left. I think she was afraid her car might get stolen. She would leave her car parked at the gym all day and catch the train to work. She would then take the 6.15pm Pilates class and drive home. Friday morning at 6am, I would have been in the gym car park waiting for Lisa. At 8.30am, with Lisa already at work, I would have approached her car and making sure there was no one around, her theft repellent parking spot would have made this a lot easier. I would have tempered with her brakes, a skill I acquired watching YouTube videos in an anonymous internet cafe several months earlier. I would have then made my way back to the train station and purchased my ticket back to Sydney, all the while posting pre-taken photos of Umina Beach, my tent and my fabulous camping experience. Lisa would have finished her 6.15pm Pilates class at 7.15pm, hopping into her car to return home at 7.30pm, crashing into the tree at a timely 7.44pm, with me already hundreds of kilometres away. The following morning at work, the office was abuzz as the new temporary CEO had started his first day. In the break room for morning coffee, Tina shared some news. My friend at the police station said they are ruling out murder as they couldn't find any substantial evidence. Wasn't there something about the breaks? I asked concerned. I guess that something wasn't substantial enough. At 8.50am, the entire office received an email regarding a 9.30am staff meeting to introduce the new CEO. Between a few emails and catching up on yesterday's work, I was suddenly interrupted by Meg. Jane, 9.30am meeting, let's go. We all huddled up in a conference room. At 9.30am sharp, our new CEO walked in. A handsome man, mid-30s, a Justin Timberlake haircut circa 2015, neatly trimmed beard, fresh suit, charming smile and kind eyes. Good morning everyone, my name is Jacob Towns and I'll be taking over as temporary CEO in light of Miss Astrum's tragic passing. I understand this is a difficult time for all, so my door is always open if you need. People say, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't, but I feel in this case, Mr Towns might have been worth the gamble.